On Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's Experts, hey, they've always got the good oil, but you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race. Yeah, it's time for our Monday's Experts Chat uh, on this 19th of July. And we've had some great chats throughout this series and we're going to continue it on as spring approaches. And I thought, to what a great opportunity to chat with a gentleman who we've heard plenty of times here on Sky Sports Radio providing information on his horses. But it'd be also nice just to hear a little bit more about the story behind the name. And that uh, person joining us is Warwick Farm trainer Joe Pride. Good morning, Joe. Morning, Dave. Thanks for coming on the program today in this particular segment. I have to ask a question. Um, where did you grow up? I know you're a mad South Sydney supporter, but where did you grow up and, and were horses in your life uh, from a young age? Uh, no, they weren't. The the the, uh, the South Sydney part comes from my dad. He grew up in, in Redfern, in Sydney, so obviously a, a bunny himself. And I grew up um, I grew up everywhere, Dave. I was actually born in Queen Beanne. My dad liked moving around. Lived nine years in Dunedin in New Zealand, came back over, lived at Ramwick, uh, went to high school in Mount Druitt, lived absolutely everywhere. So a real mixed bag and uh, learned plenty along the way from a lot of different people, I guess. When you, when was it that, that the horses was the was on the radar? Because I know from just doing a little bit of reading about you, you went to university and you studied psychology. So what, what was it about the racing game that made you go, okay, I'm going to get involved with this? Well, the... The um, it really probably started just in high school. Just had a, a group of mates who were all interested in, in, in racing, so we were, um, we were we were punting, uh, you know, on the weekends and, and sort of through the week. And uh, while we we're at high school, and then when I did go to uni, I, I really didn't like the lifestyle, the student thing at all. Um, you know, the sort of I was travelling down to Sydney Uni every day from out west, and and um, you know, sort of hard to hard to make a decent living doing that. And um, when the opportunity came, and the first uh, the end of year of the first year at uni, I went and worked in a stable, and um, with uh, with Barry Lockwood out at Rose Hill, and I just sort of fell in love with it straight away. I, I sort of faked my way into knowing what I was doing, and Barry gave me a couple of colts to take down to the track, and I thought, how good is this leading a racehorse around? Uh, so you know, immediately, as I say, just fell in love with it. And it was, it's an industry that rewards hard work, and you know, I threw myself into it, and uh, you know, within ten years, I had a trainer's license. That was great. Were they, was it, uh, you know, what was it about the horse that you loved or fell in love with? Well, I, I was a real fan, as I said, of, of racing itself. Um, and I knew very little about the animal, but um, the animal got, got me in pretty quickly. Uh, you know, they are amazing athletes. And then um, it's just a game. I love it. You know, it's um, the, the battle. There's so many different aspects to it. But um, I still enjoy, probably the part I still enjoy the most is, is pacing about my horses and just sort of, you know, dreaming about where they could get to and, and just um, just making the horse into the best possible um, athlete he can be, and then you know, um, as I say, there are so many components to that. But um, that's the part I enjoy the most. That's fantastic, mate. Um, you obviously okay. So you mentioned Barry Lockwood there. Where did John Size fit into it? Because I know from working with Tony Brassel upstairs, he often would say to me, you know, when we were talking about your horses and your sort of training uh, ideas and how you would, you know, set horses up to, to win and give their best chance. He said there's a lot of Jay size about you. When did all that particular uh, moment in time come that you worked with John? Yeah, sure. So I had a really good grounding with uh, with Barry Lockwood and Bruce Johnson at Rosehill. Worked four years out there. Went into Randwick, a couple of different stables in there. But um, just before, it would have been about 95, I think, 95, 96, 
um, went to work for John, and um, and that really got my brain thinking in a, in a whole different way about horses. And um, he was, um, he is one of the world's best trainers. Um, I wouldn't say he's the, one of the world's best teachers. He didn't. Um, he did not like he took me under his wing and and showed me all his secrets. He was um, he. You really just had to watch and learn. And um, fantastic bloke, John, and, and still obviously get on really well with him to, to this day. But um, it was more just, yeah, w- watch and learn and sort of worked four years for him and then he went to Hong Kong. Um, but the, the stuff that I learned those four years was, was invaluable and sort of took those principles away. And then um, I got a trainer's licence straight away in 2000 but had to, to learn um, on the run as well um, because there's no better teacher than than the experience of actually having to do things for yourself and, and being that person who makes those those decisions. But watching John um, and um, yeah, the way he would place horses and make so few mistakes with them from the time they walked in the stable, as I say, those things I learned in those four years were just uh, were still with me today. Do you feel as though, too, um, by you know doing that, that tertiary study into something like psychology where you were... You know, not so much analysing people, but you're analysing maybe situations that that assisted you in picking up some of those things. Oh, look, not really, Dave. You know, like, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a not, it's a romantic storyline, but it's not it's not yeah. really the way it, it evolved for me. <laughs> it, it, you know, I think everybody, um, yeah, we've all got our different strengths and weaknesses, and I think my personality is very much suited to being a horse trainer. Um, I'm very single-minded. I don't really listen to too many outside influences, and and I like to make my own decisions. And it's you know, a, a committee doesn't train a racehorse. A, a, it's best trained by one person. And that doesn't mean to say that I do all the work myself. Far from it. I've got a great team around me who help me. But you know, I like to I like to make the decisions on my horses and and, and base that on what I'm seeing on a daily basis. So that's my strength and weakness as a trainer. I don't think I could train a, a really big team, as in you know, sort of any more than I do now. I love, I love I've got 15 work, and I love that, and I feel like I've got a really good handle on all those horses, all their individual needs, and I feel like that's the edge I'm providing. Or the um, when, when someone comes to me with a horse, that's what I'm going to give them. That's um, above and beyond what I believe most people could could offer them. Yeah. How old were you when you uh, had to go out on your own? We'll decide to go, uh, you know, yeah, at so that, that opportunity. Yeah, so I would have been, I, I would have been 20, 28 or 29, yeah. Okay. And in terms of, you know, backing and support, I mean, we see young trainers these days getting the support of, of big owners and, and, and um, you know, syndicates, etc. What was it like back then for you? Was it, uh, was it a matter of, you know, going and seeing those big owners that maybe were with John uh, when you were with him? Or how did it work back then? Is it a different landscape now, isn't it? It is very different, and I wouldn't want to be starting off now. Um, it, it's so much more competitive than what it was back in 2000. And John was fantastic, John and Carmel. Uh, they really they really set me up and, and gave me some, some clients to start with. But, um, you know, they originally, a lot of them probably didn't want Joe Pye training. They also wanted John's size, and, and John left, and, and I was left with a, with a pretty small team. Um, at one point there in that first year, I think I got down to about eight horses. And I needed a, a I needed a decent horse to come along because you're quickly forgotten in this game. And and Viva Levy sort of walked through the walked through the stable door and we won sort of three straight with him and a Gosford Cup. And and it doesn't take long if you've got a decent horse in the stable for people to be talking about you. And within that first um, couple of years, Red Oog walked into the stable. And um, you know I don't you know these weren't horses that I sourced. These were horses just, I just came across and I was you know um, in a fortunate position there and and made the most of those early opportunities and, and got the ball rolling. But yeah, there's no overnight success in this game. It's, it, it's hard work over a long period of time. 
Yeah, okay. So you get those opportunities, you get those horses. Was there ever a moment when you sort of jumped out on your own that you thought, oh, I've pulled the wrong rein here, or was it just sort of, I'm, I'm in too deep and we're going to make the best of this? You're being kind. A moment would have been weeks of it. Yeah, it's it's a tough game, you know. It's, it really, really is. Um, it, it can wear you down. It's really grueling. Is the, the the schedule? And I took a lot. Uh, and it's kind of my personality. I took a lot of the pressure, you know, onto, onto myself. And and um, and I still do today. I'm a really hard marker of, of of what I do with with horses. But I figure that is again, it's a strength and a weakness. Um, but yeah, it's it's you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'd be recommending it to everybody to go and get a horse, a trainer's license because it is a really tough way to, um, to make a living, um, but also a, an enormously rewarding one. And I don't think there are many people that get um, as much pleasure out of their job as I do in the moment when you can train a group one winner, walk out the front of Ramwick or Flemington or wherever you happen to be on that day and the admiration you get from the owners and, and people around you, it's, it's pretty special. It certainly would be. What's the best horse you've trained? Yeah, look, I've always thought Terra Vista. Um, Eduardo's catching up, though. He's pretty smart. So he's a pretty amazing horse himself. But I, I, I do think, if I say the best horse I've trained, I think of the best performance by any horse I've ever trained. And I still think it's Terra Vista to win the, to win the Dali Classic. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd have him up. Look, he wasn't a consistent horse, and he had his issues, but an amazing, like an amazing turn of foot. Like, Chautauqua was a great sprinter. Um, but when Terra Vista was at his best, he, he, he used to drop Chautauqua. And uh, Chautauqua would often be getting home at him, but his turn of foot was better than Chautauqua's. He was, he, he, he was an amazing athlete. With a horse like Terra Vista, and obviously uh, one thing about your horses, and it's not that um, you know you, you have the opportunity to go out and get you know, million-dollar colts and, and whatnot, but a lot of your horses have you know taken time, I feel, and, and, and it's that time and that, that accuracy in that, you know, development of them, development in their, not only their bodies, but their head smarts, and, and also just ironing out a few creases that, you know, maybe other stables haven't had the time to do, but you, you know, you really make them uh, the forefront of your, your thinking. Um, does that make it more rewarding? That's where I'm going with this question. Does it make it more rewarding that, yes, you can go to the sales and I could get you the, you know, I could be Mr. Yoshida and say, here you go, Joe, just paid, you know, four million for this cult, black caviar, winks, whatever, um, and you know it's there in the the, bl- the the blueprint that it should be able to gallop, should be. But you're taking these horses that you know aren't fashionable to to others, and and you're having just as much success, if not more. Yeah, look, and that's that, as I say, that's that's the edge I, I, I'd like to, or the the point of difference that I'd like to think that my stable provides. So there's plenty of out, plenty of people out there that can train horses really well and they're doing a fantastic job. I'm not going to diminish for a second anything that they do. My my, my theory or my policy with, with, with most of my horses is just to, to have them walk out of the door and know that I've got every the, the best possible uh, result out of them. And often that just means giving them time because, as you just highlighted, most of the horses I get... Um, they're, they're not million-dollar yearlings, you know, they're, and they're often you know a bit, a bit light on on their pedigree. Um, for those horses to be better than um, better than their rivals, they just they've needed time to mature, and and yeah, I enjoy that. Um, you know, it's a, it's not a uh, it, it 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 doesn't cost any extra money. It's just just it's just a patient thing, and you know, if I tried to make horses compete on a uh, at a level as a two-year-old, and then they're, they're not up to it. I'm, I'm not representing the horse well, and, and it's going to waste um, waste opportunities down the track there for him. 
Does it annoy you a little bit, that tag, that um, you, you, you sort of do have these unfashionable horses that you turn into success stories? I mean, do you want more of the uh, the ready-made colts and, and fillies coming in from the, from the sales? Yeah, look, that doesn't annoy me. It doesn't annoy me. It, it, it's it's just it's it's where I sit in the in the landscape of of, of Sydney horse trainers. But look, I, I believe that I can do as, um, um, just as good a job as any as any trainer out there with any given horse. So if I'm given the opportunity with that with that young colt or filly, I'll get it to fill its potential at the young age. I've got no doubt about that. Um, but I'm also realistic to know that the horses that I'm getting into my system aren't that kind of horse, so we treat them differently. Mm. Tell us about Eduardo. I mean, I know you, this has come up uh, came up last time when Eduardo was, uh, you know, selected to run on the Everest. Uh, what last year was it last year or the year before? It was last Hello, year, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yep. You, you lose track of time with these lockdowns and everything happening in the world. But with Eduardo um, and you acquiring the horse, how did that how did that happen? Yes, he's he's been here um, uh, only really twelve months. So he the July sprints on this weekend, and that was the first start we gave him up here in Sydney. Um, it was. Uh, just a, a stable client sort of approached me and said we can put potentially buy Eduardo. We just need to get together and, uh, a, a group of owners, and um, we're able to do that. The original owner stayed in him, but just sort of downsized, and um, yeah, took over the training of the horse, as I say, some 12 months ago, and it's been a fantastic ride for them. You know, he's, he's been um, other than Everest Day, um, which you know really came down to just a. Um, uh, the horse just going too quickly and, and not giving himself a, an opportunity to finish off. Without, with, with the exception of that race, it's been a fantastic experience for, for the owners, and he's an amazing horse. He, he really is. Like when you, what you saw on this, from this horse, uh, particularly this preparation, first up in the challenge to break the track record, beat Nature Strip, and then second up winning the Galaxy. That's that's true. It was a representation of what this horse is capable of, and um, you know, going forward, I, I believe I can get him to perform at that, at that level quite consistently. Mm. When he first arrived, and I mean, look, he, he arrived with you know some pretty good credentials. I remember again, I'll bring up Tony Brassel the day in the Oakley Plate. You know, Tony said he's you know his run was enormous, and this horse can gallop. So he arrives at yours. He has that trial with Jay. At what moment do you sort of have a conversation, even if it's just an internal conversation with yourself, thinking, okay, well, I've got something to work with here, big time. Yeah. Um... Oh, more a gradual build-up. You know, he gave us he gave us good confidence from the time he stepped through the door. But you know, that trial was good, and then we took him off to Rose Hill, and he was so he's just progressively built to the point he is now. I, I guess when I probably really started getting excited would have been maybe he's running the, running the shorts. We sort of threw him in against the big boys, and he was really unlucky. He had no luck at all. Classic legend won the race, and um, he ran second. I think Bivouac ran third, and that was his first go on the really big stage, and he competed very well that day. Um, you know, then then we sort of probably obviously went into the Everest, and it was a set of circumstances that didn't let him do his best. But then bringing back this preparation, as I say, the the level he's he's got to now is is up there with uh, with the best. You know, he's I mean, he's the fastest horse in the world, isn't he? Oh, well, I think so. Yeah, We've, on, on his run on uh, what Challenge Day. Yeah. Um, yep. He's got an affinity with Nash too. I mean, are you are you a trainer that really looks at that? Um, is that something that that John instilled in you too? Because John's a little bit like that in terms of you know particular riders he books for particular horses. Yeah, look, it can't be ignored. Nash's relationship with this horse. Um, so you know, a couple of other people have had a go on him. Maybe they're on him on the wrong days. But um, you know, Nash loves riding him. Um, he goes extra well for him. So yeah, they're 
it's not a combination. I'm not going to split up any time soon. Yeah, okay. And with the Everest this year, uh, obviously, you know, you, you see other horses select at the moment. Have you had interest from anybody out there? Yep. Have you had conversations with anybody? Yep. Yep, early negotiations, and, and um, they're very much confidential. But, um, look, I'm really confident we're going to get into the race, Dave. Like, he's, um, yeah. you know, I've, I've, I regard him as the best sprinter in Australia, and if he, if he you know, if, he's, if, he, if someone wants to argue with that, well, we're not going to have him too far down the pecking order, and there's 12 horses take their place on Everest Day. So if he's not in anyone's top 12, I want to know how they do their form. <laughs> what about that day in particular last year? I know it wasn't the result you wanted, but... Uh, to see, you know, your family um, and, and the emotion. Uh, it's good to see a young fella getting into it. Um, uh, would, are you sort of, if he said to you, right, um, Dad, I want to go down this uh, this horse training path one day, uh, would you be fully encouraging of that? Yeah, I'm, I'm open-minded to that. Um, and I'm also um, confident in the pathway I want him to take. He's going to have a really broad education to to go into that. And when he does, he'll do it in a different way um, that I did, and he'll handle pressure in a different way to, to what I do, you know. And I, I, I just want the, I'm in, a, I'm in a, I'm in a position to be able to give him the best possible education, not just from me, but um, surround him with people. Um, they're going to be able to teach him some really valuable lessons in how to handle horses, but also handle um, business and and you know and, and life in general. And, and that he'll go in well equipped, and he'll be a better trainer than me if he if he goes down that path. Yeah, that's it. That that's exciting, mate. Does that does that really warm your heart that that's now that's the next you know the next level of um, excitement for me isn't it you know like it's um, and I've yeah. seen that in in, tra- in in other trainers you know that it's really rewarding to um, to get horses to to do their best and that has that has a cap though um, and the next level of appreciation for me would be watching would be watching Brave or indeed one of my daughters um, do it as well so um, yeah definitely that's fantastic mate what about um your goals in in general. I mean, you've 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 ticked. A, you've been at the highest level of our sport in terms of winning Group Ones. You've you've done it as well, quite rewardingly, as we said with with horses that you know you've you've had to you know bring through and and get the best out of those particular horses. What's what's next on the radar for Joe Pride? What are the what are the goals? What are the dreams? Yeah, we're limited. We're limited by the size stable that I am, and 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 I never used to think that was so much a limitation. But I think now what we've seen in the last five years with these. You know, what I call super stables coming through, they're just they're they're factories and they just they just churn out, you know, good horse after good horse. So I'm realistic about where we sit in the in the grand scheme of things. As I said to you, I, I like the where I am in the in the uh in the in the landscape of Sydney racing, I like having fifty in work and I would like people to uh, and, and maybe it's a point lost on some people because they don't they just see us turn up at the ra- the races on a Saturday with, with horse and they don't realise the difference in sizes of stables. But um just continue on with that and just to, just to identify some really good horses over there. It's a simple goal, but just, you know, find my find my tie the night or sunline. Just that horse that really, yeah. really changes your life. Is it, a, you know, is it something that, uh, that there's one race you'd like to, apart, I mean, obviously you'd love to win an Everest, but is there one race you'd like to win that you've you've never won? And it could be a group one or it could be a country cup. What's what's the one? That was, it's always been the Cox Plate. I really want to, because I figure if you've got the Cox Plate winning, you've probably got the best horse in Australia or close enough to it. So it's always been a, a Cox Plate as the, the mantle for me, and hopefully we can um, hopefully we can get there. 
one day you never know what's around the corner. What are you most concerned about with racing moving forward? Uh, say, example, you know, we're just chatting before about your son or possibly uh, daughters, you know, uh, jumping in and being a trainer one day. For our industry to keep thriving and, and you know, um, being the centre of attention for everyone out there, um, is there anything you're sort of worried about for the future? Yeah, I think just seeing that influx of, of, of youth into, into, into racing, I, I think that's really important. And, and just sort of wondering where that next generation of workers are coming from as well. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of relevant concerns. Um, I think all we can do is do our best individually and um, to, to encourage that. Um, but when you, when you go to the races, you know, particularly say you go midweek is now, um, you know the, the the crowd there at the races. There's there's not many there from you know from coming coming through that are going to make the next generation. So I think that's something that we've really got to be mindful of. Um, but I don't have to be fierce. We've got a fantastic sport. We've got a got an amazing product, and it's doing really well. So um, prize money levels have never been better. I don't think we don't want to sit idle on that. But I think we've got a we've got an amazing product, and and just yeah, just encourage that next generation through, and it'll continue to thrive. Is there any? Do you have any ideas on that, that encouragement of of the next generation? I mean, I remember as a as a kid growing up, um, and maybe it was just because I was born with a, a different ilk. But you no, know, that that getting in with granddad, going to the races, absorbing everything through him because he was pretty much my my old man. I know it's been probably similar for your son. You know, growing up, they're there. It's it's born into them. But do we need to be more active in regional areas? I mean, where's our next Hugh Bowman um, coming from? Is there another Hugh Bowman hiding out there in Dunedoo? Yeah, look, I'm sure there is. Oh, look, I'm, all the exciting racing, or sorry, I shouldn't say not all the exciting, but a lot of the exciting racing happens here in Sydney. So, um, but I think it's a dream of a lot of country kids to come in and and and, and be part of that. Um, so we certainly need to be encouraging that. But as long as we keep um, the product we're churning out the best it can be, as I say, it's an amazing sport. Watching those, you know, equine athletes, the best jockeys compete against each other. Trainers will take a little step back from that because they're probably not part of the a real part of what um, you know, the fans are, are really attached to, but um, yeah, like I think while while it's going like that, it's 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 just it's an exciting sport that will keep continue to attract people. In terms of ideas to keep um, to to encourage them, not really my area, Dave, but um, I'd like to think we've got people working on it because it's very important. It's certainly the case, Joe. Um, I really have enjoyed uh, chatting to you this morning, mate. Um, it's uh, a pretty crazy, I was going to say crazy story, but it's a pretty wild story, especially knowing that, you know, you went and did that tertiary education. You've been through a number of hoops and, and jumps and to jump out on your own and to have that success that you have then had uh, throughout your career and then even now to hear talking about your family. Um, it's a wonderful story, mate, and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks very much, Dave. Joe Pryor joining us there. And nice just to hear, that, as I said, that story behind the name because we often have Joe on. We talk about horses that race here, there and everywhere, and we talk a lot about Eduardo. But to hear Joe's story and to hear his confidence in his ability to train, especially some of these horses that aren't just ready to roll off the conveyor belt, I think uh, is outstanding. And catch that on the podcast if you just tuned in late as well. We'll have that up shortly with all other Sky Sports Radio interviews. It's 11.26. The Whip Around is coming up shortly.